0: It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me today is my guest, Bobby Fotish. Bobby is founding partner and chief selling officer at All About Leverage, a Philadelphia-based social selling and door opening firm. Bobby, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Andy.
0: Well, we're excited to have you. So, take a minute, please, introduce yourself. Maybe tell us how you got your start in sales.
1: Sure, absolutely. You know, I've actually reinvented myself a number of times, so it sounds uh, all unrelated, but it's all so related to how I ended up here. Oh, good. Well, let's hear it. So I originally was um, in operations in restaurants on the main line and in Philadelphia, and I did that for ten years. Uh, I ran five restaurants between two and fifteen million dollars. What type of um, restaurants? They were actually actually it was a, a single owner who owned multiple types of concepts. So there were there was an Italian, there was um, a Mediterranean, there was a um, Spanish. We had an American. Uh, restaurant and then uh, a high-end pizza restaurant. So there was actually a number of different different types of uh, food and, and uh, different types of staff and it was all up and down the same area outside of Philadelphia mm-hmm. on the main line. It was actually, it was actually a pretty crazy time. <laughs> you learn a lot in the restaurant business. I mean a whole lot. <laughs>
0: and so director of operations you were in charge of what?
1: Uh, pretty much uh, everything. everything, yeah. Sales and marketing, and um, hiring and termination, and developing uh, the wine and beer lists, the uh, alcohol lists, working with the chefs on the uh, menus and um, training programs. It was literally, if you had the ten thousand foot view of the restaurant, it was having your hands in all of the different pieces of it. So, mm. I learned how to run a um, you know B two C business doing that, and that was about ten years. So it was a long time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so then
0: how would that lead you to sales?
1: Well, uh, actually that led me to retail, where I was an operations manager for a big box retailer um, for the next five years, just trying to get a better schedule. And then uh, once I realized that it wasn't a better schedule, just a shifted schedule, I uh, went into uh, literally a huge, took a large pay cut, uh, about six figures, and I took the only job. Uh, that somebody would hire me for without sales experience. So a woman hired me to work out of her basement. She worked out of her house and had uh, maybe three or four employees at the time. Uh, the only reason she hired me is because I told her I was okay with earning. So <laughs> you didn't have to. She didn't have to pay me. I would just earn commission. commission. Right. So yes. what were you selling? Uh, training. So that actually worked out well. I was training, um, I was selling training for the food service industry, um, safety, food safety training and uh, alcohol uh, safety training for uh, restaurants and bars and mm-hmm. and schools and hospitals, et cetera. So it was a nice transition since I already had knowledge of the industries. Um, and I told her I would only be there for two years. I was just trying to break in into a new industry. I wanted to learn how to sell. This was um, back in the cold calling days. So. So she brought me in. You know, you Uh, say
0: that like you think cold calling is no longer done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it shouldn't be done anymore, but we'll get into that in a second. (laughs) Okay. So. Well, so um, you know, the goal was was I was going to help her get up out of her basement and help increase uh, sales and turn it into a real viable business, since that's where my expertise was, and she was going to teach me how to cold call. So uh, she did, and then. Just like I told her, two years later, two years and one day later, I left and hung my first shingle, which was um, a franchise of voluntary benefits for small to mid-sized companies. And I did that for the next two years, where I developed... Uh, this social selling process that we teach people. So, back before social selling was even a word, a real word. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was before before really, um, before it was a thing. So, uh, you know, I hung my first shingle, My husband and I ran the business together. I did the cold calling thing. I did the foot canvassing thing. I did the networking thing. Um, I was pretty bad at the networking thing. And then uh, I figured out that I was doing that wrong. So I went to a chamber event where I saw a woman speak about LinkedIn. And I said to my husband and business partner at that time, I said, I think I'm going to try social media. And at that point, I wasn't on social media at all. So do you remember who you saw speaking? No, I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> um, I, th- I mean, you know, today, had I known the impact from then, I'm sure I would have uh, developed a relationship and started up a dialogue. But, you know, I guess back then it was just a kind of more of a cold calling type of thing where you see somebody once and you don't really think past that. Um, so who are you,
0: who are you call- cold calling?
1: Who am I cold calling? Who, no,
0: who, was, who were you cold calling at the time when you oh. started your own
1: Oh, on uh, small to mid-sized businesses, so the business owners and the, Mm the CFOs of companies up to 500 employees, so anywhere from 10 to 500 employees. That's what I was uh, targeting. Um, and then uh, when I heard somebody uh, do a it was a ten, a quick 10-minute speech on LinkedIn at the Chamber event, that's when I said to my husband, I'm going to try social media. And uh, he thought it was crazy. He said, you know, <laughs> we had never, neither one of us were on social media at the time. We didn't grow up in, in the time frame where you would have been on social media on a regular basis. Uh, you know, it was kind of out of our wheelhouse. And our our idea of social media was posting pictures of your children and your your cat and your dog and you know, Facebook, the food they right? right, yeah. So um, after him telling me I was crazy, I went ahead and, and did it anyway. Opened up a LinkedIn profile. It was probably the worst profile anybody had at that time. Uh, started pressing all the buttons and figuring things out and uh, did a lot of stuff wrong. In fact, I probably broke just about every single rule because I didn't know uh, what I was doing, which is what I find is the case most of the time is that people just don't know. So once I worked through it um, a couple of years in, I developed a process where I organically integrated uh, social media activity into my daily routine and before you knew it, I had a full out process that was driving sales to me on a regular basis and for the most part didn't have to prospect anymore other than speaking engagements and things like that. But, you know, the the knocking on doors was done and the cold calling was over and the random networking, that was just, I just pushed that to the wayside and I started just really building my network digitally and in person in conjunction with each other opening more doors and booking out six weeks at a time for initial meetings and you know then i thought well at some point it's got to slow down and i'll tell you what andy it hasn't slowed down since so on a regular basis you know the the way that we've built this program, we constantly have people reaching out to us based on what we're putting out there through social. So it literally changed the way that we do business. Then at some point, I was still in the benefits business. Um, At some point, I guess it was, uh, yeah, two years in, my husband and I were driving down to DC to go visit family. And I said to him, I think we're doing the wrong business. I think we should take the leap. And hang this shingle. Let's uh, teach people what we do. Let's show them how to impact their sales and and fill their funnel and and have higher conversion rates and higher retention. And so we did. And two and a half years ago, we launched All About Leverage. We've been cash flow positive since day one. We have an incredible network of folks. I get to travel and help people every day and show them how we did it.
0: Okay. So it. yeah, exciting. So so. In a recent blog post, you know, you asked the question, you posed the question, you know, are you running a sales team the outdated way? Yeah. So let's sort of talk about that. So what's what's outdated? Sure. In your mind, what's what's outdated?
1: Well, let me ask you something, Andy. Think about um today versus even 20, 30 years ago, or even five years ago, you know, the the first time, I I love this analogy, the first time you bought a car versus the last time you bought a car. Uh, And I'm going to directly relate the buying process to the disconnect in the sales process here. So the first time you bought a car, I imagine you went from lot to lot and spoke to the salesperson because they were the one with the information. Um, You test drove everything. You uh, asked opinions by other people in your family or your professional circles it probably took you a couple of weeks to come to a decision as to what car to buy there was no google there was no internet you couldn't just search to find out information you had to have those uh, face-to-face conversations and that was the easiest way to get the information and then two weeks later you bought the car well, the last time you bought a car, you probably sat on your couch and you Googled everything you needed to to, to know, including which local lots had the car that you were interested in. You probably even scheduled a, a meeting right there from the site to come in and sign some paperwork. You went to the, the dealer, you were in there and out of there in two hours with the car that you wanted. So for us, We all automatically go online when we're interested in investing our money in something. Whether it's a product or service, we Google everything. We go on and we check out results and recommendations and safety features and we do it all online. We are 60-70% through the buying process before we ever even speak to a salesperson today. Well, is that true in
0: business-to-business as well?
1: Absolutely. When, uh, when you're looking to bring in somebody that's um, maybe a new bookkeeper or you need uh, legal assistance and you're recommended to speak with somebody, don't you go online and check them out? Or well, there's
0: a lot of, I have to admit, you know, that whole area, this whole area of discussion about how far are, in the business-to-business space, how far are buyers through their buying process before they engage with sellers uh, you know, source a lot of controversy because oh, you know, there, there are studies that come out that that have you know substantiated both the yes and the no of that, you know, where a high fraction of customers, especially in, you know, sort of complex B2B sales, you know, really their buying process is initiated by through contact from a salesperson as opposed to something they've sort of developed awareness of on their own. Where on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's this, you know, 60 to or 70% of the way through the the process. So, how do you begin to reconcile that?
1: Reconcile the multiple the oppo- types opposing, of
0: opposing points of view in terms of where the buying process really starts?
1: Well, well think about yourself. Uh, when you need something and you need, need to hire somebody for services, what do you do? What are your steps?
0: But are you saying that cold call, but I mean there's whole vast segments of tech business, for instance, in the SaaS space, that are being driven by cold calling, proactive outreach.
1: Right. And honestly, I actually work with a number of companies that still hold on to cold calling. Um, In fact, we've worked cold calling into their daily routine. However, we turn it into a warm call by generating information from social media, which actually has proven in every case higher conversion rates. So, I I understand what you're saying in that a lot of industries still cold call. Um, I don't I honestly don't believe there are industries out there that couldn't benefit more from warm calling as opposed to cold calling. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that with the information highway available to us 24-7, that we actually have made our decision before we do speak to somebody that can help us with that product or service. I have... No doubt about that at all. That that rings true probably ninety percent of the time. So yeah, the studies are are based on um, different litmus tests in different areas and in different industries and and different levels. Uh, I totally get that, but you have to you have to agree that we are very digitally enabled and we can find anything out in a heartbeat anymore. Whether it's services or products or um, when the next game is, everything is literally at our fingertips with our smart phones.
0: So so do you think that sales are guilty of ignoring how customers buy?
1: Yes. I think that ignoring is is the wrong word. I think that they're unaware that the sales process that they're implementing doesn't match the buying process that they implement on a daily basis. So if you think about the way you buy versus the way you sell and you make some changes to change your sales process to a more modern buying process, it's very digitally enabled. I'm not saying that the face-to-face is so important and having that conversation or or the WebEx or the Skype call. or I mean, really, it all leads up to that. But we have the ability at any time of any day to engage with our, our ideal client profiles on social media in an effort to warm them up before we ever get to the point where they're even a prospect, but where they're even really cross that line from suspect to prospect. We have the ability to do that at any time. And we're doing it on our own time, and they can answer on their own time. So it's much less invasive as well. I think it's a little bit more respectful to be able to give them the ability to contact me back if they want and when they want.
0: So you're saying that the old model of interrupt-selling, basically, or interrupt-driven selling, is... Falls into that outdated category. And I know, I mean, there are people that, very serious people that will take, you know, both points of view on this is that it sure that isn't and, and isn't and just sort of you think it is, though.
1: I think, um, I know I don't like to be interrupted, <laughs> I, I don't. I, and honestly, if you call me, uh, and it's an interruption and I'm not prepared for the call, then I feel like it's a waste of my time and a waste of your time.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, good. So, um, Besides cold calling, you know what mm-hmm. other sort of outdated sales practices do you encounter that you know, sort of fall into this outdated concept?
1: Well, I think they're all very similar to cold calling. I think just knocking on doors and foot canvassing, while it can be very fruitful, is also an interruption that the decision maker may not be prepared for. I think um, the traditional random networking techniques can be very difficult unless you really understand how to work a room. And a lot of times, folks are not trained appropriately. But you can leverage social selling and LinkedIn in order to determine who you're going to meet at any event before you ever get there and be more purposeful. You can leverage LinkedIn and social selling techniques uh, to schedule the right timeframes with people. You can use it to to really take out the guesswork and stop interrupting folks. But you know, honestly. The technology just allows us to do things faster. You know, LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook or depending on what you're selling and where you are digitally, it allows us to locate people based on specific filters. You know, if if you're targeting maybe the C-suite of company size 500 to 5,000 within the Northeast or the West Coast. We have the ability to not only find those people, but find who knows those people that we know. We have the ability to leverage our relationships to get referrals and introductions to get into the door faster. We have the ability to narrow down who we want to target at networking events so that we can have five meaningful conversations in the room instead of trying to, what I call cold call in the room, where you go around and talk to everybody to figure out who it makes sense to actually try and Plant a seed with, and establish a relationship with. It's really about executing more proficiently and saving time, so that you have more time to work on relationships as opposed to finding the right people. Well,
0: I was going to ask. So, so much we're talking about is really sort of top of funnel issues. So, what's happening in terms of how things are evolving? You know, beneath the top of the funnel. I mean, what are people? how's it changing for middle of funnel sales or how should it be changing well, you know what are some of the old habits you're seeing that in your work with companies that are persisting once you get you know the established uh, the interest established with the prospect what needs to change on that end and how can social help with that or can it?
1: okay i'm not 100% certain i understand the series of questions you asked so i'm oh, going to no too. so it's I okay. mean,
0: what we're talking about is top of funnel right how do we get prospects how do we get interest Sure, sure. Um, but you know, that's just a, one part of running a sales team. And you're saying, you know, there's other you know, are you running a sales team in outdated fashion? i was just wondering what you see in your work with clients that once you get beyond that top of funnel, once you get somebody engaged and qualified, what, what are the, some of the outdated practices you're seeing that could be changed or maybe even influenced through use of social?
1: Ah, okay. So you want to increase the conversion of prospect to client. And you want to know how social selling can help implement that change. Is that right?
0: I'm just asking, what are you seeing in terms of what people are doing that's effective in that regard?
1: So what's Been effective is actually staying in contact with them via social media based on content that they've disseminated. So, starting conversations based on what they're interested in and staying in touch with them and staying in front of them without actually having to try and um, follow up on the proposal you sent or uh, trying to pitch a product or a service through social media, which is a big no no. You know, it allows you to engage with a prospect about the things they care about, earn their trust. and learn a little bit more about them, which is something that really wasn't viable 10 years ago. We now have the ability to establish at least the beginnings of a relationship by having conversations on social media. So, you're talking about the conversion of through warm lead generation, which, of course, we can talk about statistics and go back and forth about warm versus cold, but I honestly don't think anybody out there can argue that there's a lower conversion rate for cold lead generation versus warm lead generation. I mean, the average is, what, 60% conversion when it's warm and half a percent conversion when it's cold, or even if it's 50% conversion and warm and 10% conversion when it's cold, it's still a huge difference. So getting the prospect into the top of the funnel, warming them up through the middle of the funnel, that gives you higher conversion rates through the bottom. You're going to get more of that drop through. And then being able to stay in touch with what they care about through social, through social selling techniques, and being able to address any issues that maybe don't come up in your regular conversations, well, that helps with the longevity of the client. So it's about being able to stay in constant communication.
0: Yeah, so give with, me an example. You're saying it bring up you're talking about something, giving, bringing up an issue that they care about. Um, so engaging
1: I, in conversations on issues that they care about. Okay. So what I mean by that is looking at what they're talking about on social media. So not necessarily what you're look, or what you're talking about on social media, although that's fine. Um, but what they care about and engaging them in conversation on what they care about. So, for example. If you go on to um, anybody's LinkedIn profile, you have the ability to view all of their public activity on LinkedIn, meaning everything that they've posted, everything that they've commented on or liked, um, everything that they've engaged in which is public on homepages or in groups or whatever it may be. Like I'm looking at yours right now, and you just recently, six days ago, posted reducing your sales cycle, increasing your sales efficiency with Andy Paul. So in the interim of you going from suspect to prospect, and in the interim of you going from prospect to client, I can actually have conversations Digitally with you through LinkedIn, and talk to you about the things that you're posting about, and um, engaging you in conversation, asking questions, earning your respect before we ever get to the point where we're going from prospect to client. Does that so, make more sense?
0: So yeah, so in in that environment, let's say, is there's again range of opinions in terms of what's the best practice. So yeah, you know, let's say you see a, a prospect that's posted something on on LinkedIn. What's in your mind? What's the best practice for how to engage with them at that point?
1: Well, it's uh, you know, you can like, comment, or share, and that's pretty much standard across social platforms. Because there's some people
0: that default right away to reaching out with an in mail or something, which is very do not seem like it's very effective, or may have you have you experienced that different?
1: No, in mails are very ineffective because that is, uh, for lack of a better description, that's a cold call. It means you had no other way to get in touch with that person, or it didn't take enough time to understand how to get in touch with that person, that you had to do it cold. So, of of all the capabilities on LinkedIn, um, I, I just don't feel like anybody should ever have to use an email, and I'm, I've only ever used one. You, you lose used an email once in the entire time I've been on LinkedIn, and it was actually a warm in-mail and it was uh, 10 people had recommended I speak to this one woman and so that's what I put in the headline and sent her the information and we scheduled a call through the in-mail but that was the only time and it was just because it was the easiest thing to do but I don't believe in-mails are the most effective way. First of all, when you engage on public content then you're actually maximizing not only your visibility but their visibility and you have the ability to bring other people into the conversations. So for example, your most recent post, if I think it would be effective for somebody in my network to read it. I can pull in their name in the comment section, bring them into the conversation, at the same time effectively introducing the two of you and providing content that they desperately need. So I'm doing a number of things there. I'm maximizing my visibility to your network, by network, and their network. I'm bringing them to you, and I'm bringing you to them. I'm solving an issue, and I'm making a referral. And I can do that all publicly.
0: hmm no, very clever. I mean, so one of the things that's sort of last question on the LinkedIn thing that, that sure. seems to be a best practice issue, which which is that uh, salespeople have a hard time sort of defining when it's okay to take that step beyond sharing, commenting, and so on to actually contacting.
1: Yes. So, there, and there's no set rule for this. There really isn't. This is a process. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's, you know, as soon as you've commented, they reach out to you and ask you to connect. Other times you comment and you ask questions and you try to engage them in conversation and they don't respond. At which point you're going to want to do that, you know, probably two times a week you're going to go in and try and engage them in conversation for a couple of weeks until it does elicit a response. Well, engaging in
0: conversation meaning through comments or sharing on their content.
1: Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So once you do earn their respect and, and you earn their attention, that's when you can go ahead and reach out with the connection request. Then you're notified of the connection request. Now you can, they've accepted you into their network. Now it's time to reach out and ask for that one-on-one.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. Alright, well good. We're going to take a short break. I'll be right back with my guest, Bobby Fotish. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Cell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Cell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Cell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their Outbound On Demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit ConnectAndSell.com to learn more about how Connect ConnectAndSell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, welcome back. Talking to my guest today, Bobby Fotish. We've been talking about best practices on really prospecting, you know, how to use social to help you prospect and avoid uh, turning your cold calls into warm calls. And so now, moving to the last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. Sure. And the first one is, is a hypothetical scenario okay. in which you've just been hired as the new VP of sales at a company whose sales have sort of stalled out. And the CEO is anxious to get sales unstuck and back on track. And you know, we all know sales turnaround has to begin somewhere. But in this case, you're in charge. Now, what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: Oh, that is a loaded question. Only two things that I would do to have the biggest impact. Well, I I would imagine being new to the position, I would have to learn about each of the sales folks' capabilities and what they currently do to bring in new business um, or what they're currently not doing. I imagine a lot of it would have to be either outdated or they would just not have a, a right process in place or maybe just not the right structure. So determining where each of them is falling short and then implementing process changes based on where they're falling short. That would have to be, an assessment would have to be done before anything else was implemented. Mm -hmm. But from there, I would go back to the basics. I mean, basic basics. Such as? Who's in your network, and who's reliable, and who do you have that are referral partners, and do you not understand what that means, and how do we build off of referral partners, and um, what can we do to drive more more prospects to us. So really starting with their actual network, because, and I don't mean a LinkedIn network, and I don't mean a Twitter network. I mean your real business network, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times I find that a lot is available to us as salespeople. But in order to get a referral, there are two things that you can do to help maximize client acquisition through referrals. And the top two things are, one, giving referrals. So are you not giving to your network? And two, asking for referrals. So are you not asking for referrals? Hard to
0: get them if you don't ask.
1: Right, absolutely. So just something that basic to implement before even getting into leveraging social media and social selling innovation and techniques that'll help build the pipeline and convert.
0: Okay, Good answer. So now some rapid fire questions. Sure. Um You can give one word answers, you can elaborate if you wish. So if, when you, Bobby, you are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute?
1: Hmm, speaking. I would say speaking.
0: Speaking. Okay, meaning Absolutely.
1: Um, Whether it's one-on-one with Mm -hmm. somebody or in front of an audience of 500. uh, I, I definitely think my biggest attribute is being able to engage one or 500 people in the content I'm speaking about.
0: Okay. Love it. Who's your sales role model?
1: Ah, oh, my sales role model. I actually have a few. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to a few folks in my network. And that's Scott Messer of Sales Evolution, Steve Cloyda the prospecting expert. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to some of the top social media experts out there, like Coca Sexton from LinkedIn, uh-huh. who I don't have a relationship with, but would love to. I think he's amazing. Um, and, you know, I have a, a lot of uh, local folks that... I really find do it the right way that, you know, help me kind of tweak my processes, even if they don't know it. But for the most part, I think that innovation is all around us.
0: It is. So, next question then is, what's one book every salesperson should read?
1: Ooh, The Tipping Point. Absolutely.
0: By Malcolm Gladwell.
1: Yep, absolutely. I think that's excellent.
0: All right. last question for you. What music's on your playlist these days?
1: (laughs) Um... Actually, I'm a big motown girl. So, I have a lot of motown on there. Nice. Uh, but I listen to everything. I'll be quite honest with you. It depends on my mood. I think that's a better way to put it.
0: Okay. <laughs> with- but motown, that's good. That's we don't get many motown answers it. I, no. <laughs> I imagine I think
1: people that people are
0: rediscovering motown. That's yeah. Yeah, I know my kids are of the generation that that they uh, yeah, they're they is really enjoy retro? it. Is yeah. it coming
1: back around now?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's which is good. Great to hear that. All right. Well, Bobby, thanks for joining us. And tell folks how they can find out more about you.
1: Sure. So, uh, you can find out more about me on LinkedIn. It's uh, linkedin.com backslash in backslash Bobby Fotish. You can follow me on Twitter at LinkedIn Bobby. Uh Our website is www.allaboutleveragellc.com Um, And, uh, let's see, if you go to any one of those, you'll be able to find uh, a lot of other places where content and other podcasts and um, all kinds of information.
0: All right. Excellent. Good. Well, thank you again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine listening in your commute, in the gym, or as part of your make it part of your morning sales meeting That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Bobby Fotish, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more
1: information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.